Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Hello and welcome to this week's Geek Town Radio. This week we've got a slight change because uh, it's been fairly hectic at the office, so uh, people have been quite busy. So rather than do the regular show, um, I have an interview which was an hour long, so I was kind of working out what I was going to do with it anyway. Um, it's an interview with the author Richard Morgan. He's the author of the uh, fantasy series Alanfitch for Heroes. Um, he's also the author of the Takashi Kovach novels, um, Altered Carbon, Broken Angels, uh, Woken Furies. Uh, he's written various standalone novels as well. Um, he wrote two volumes of uh, the Black Widow comic books for Marvel um, and was responsible for, for rebooting Black Widow, basically. He also wrote uh, Crisis 2 for EA and uh, Syndicate as well, the uh, Syndicate reboot, which they did. And he also wrote a Crisis graphic novel. When I spoke to him, he was just in the middle of uh, moving from his house in Scotland back down to uh, London. It's the first time he's lived in London for a while, so, so it's a bit echoey. Um, you can tell there's not much stuff around the room. So we talk a bit about his move, uh, about the novels... We also talk about the game which is being made for mobile devices, which is uh, an interactive game book um, based on the, his uh, Lamfit for Heroes novel series. Uh, so that's due out in a couple of months. So I'll put the link up on the website. You can go and um, subscribe and, and uh, check that out as well. Uh, so here's the interview with Richard. Um, hope you enjoy it. We should be back to a normal show next week. Uh, we'll see you then. Bye bye. <laughs> Hi Richard. Hey, how you doing? All right. I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, not bad. I mean, I'm I'm sort of uh, rushing around a bit because I've got a move on. I'm moving from Scotland down south for the first time in oh, a long time. Uh, a decade. I've been what 16 years up in Scotland, and uh, before that I was in Madrid. So I the last time I actually lived <laughs> in the south was about nine, 1994 or five. So it's been a while. Wow. What what inspired the move back down south? A whole bunch of things, really. I mean, um, 
I, I'm sick of the weather on the west coast of Scotland. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, work generally, I'm finding that increasingly I need to be closer to the centre of things. I think you know, with the way the way that the world is moving with social media and and the sort of the the, the necessary presence that you have as a as a creative. I'm yes. finding I, it's just not convenient for me to have to fly down to London whenever I want to see my publishers or, you know, I mean, I've done, I've done quite a lot of games yeah. consulting as well and the same thing applies there. A lot of those guys are, are sort of clustered around the London area, so if not in London itself. Yeah, so, I sort of, I sort of feel your pain there because I'm based up in Birmingham and, and I get constant streams of things going, oh, we've got this press screening. It's at somewhere in Soho. Yeah. <laughs> That's oh, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just wander down to <laughs> Yeah, so um, so yes, I, I I feel your pain. Although at least it's not kind of you're Glasgow. Were you Glasgow based? Yeah, yeah Glasgow Glasgow based, but we're moving back to my old stomping grounds in um, in Norfolk. Uh, so, oh, cool. So uh, it'll be an interesting change of speed for for all of us, I think. So uh, I'm kind of you know looking forward to on the one hand a bit uh, a bit of trepidation on the other, and just the nightmare of you know after living in the same place for a decade having to pack everything up and ah oh, dear. Yes, I I moved about 10 years ago and I was like, how did I accrue so much crap in the two years I rented house? Yeah, that's it, that's exactly it. Every time you move, you seem to have increased exponentially the amount of junk you own. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, yes, it's not fun, that at all. Oh well, um, well, well. Good luck with that. I hope it all goes okay. Well, I'm sure it'll, move, it'll be there'll be a few bumps, but I'm, we'll get down there all right. I think. Yeah. yeah. So um, you're 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 on to talk a bit about um, well, uh, generally about your stuff and and about this this new game book that's coming out. Do you want to give a bit of sort of context beforehand? How um, do you want to just explain a bit about sort of who you are and and um, you know how you got into writing? Right. Well, I yeah. I mean, I've been writing what seems like all of my life, uh, but uh, not successfully until about fifteen years ago. Uh, <laughs> right. I spent a long time in the wilderness, and uh, my first novel was published in two thousand two. I'd actually been submitting it for a while, but there's a long story behind that, which I don't don't think we'll go into. <laughs> right, but anyway, yeah, uh, I got picked up in 2002. Got a three book deal from uh, Glance, who are the science fiction wing of Orion. <clears throat> yeah, and on the back of that, I mean, Glance, Glance and Orion are a great, a great little machine for authors because they have a kind of onward right pro- rights program, and they basically got me a Hollywood film deal, uh, all, you know, almost before the book actually came out. Wow! Uh, and so, in the having you know spent about a decade and a half banging my head against the brick wall of, of, of not getting published. Suddenly, you know, the book came out in February, I think, uh, of 2002, and I had a film deal by, by uh, the autumn, and I quit my day job by the end of the year. <laughs> Just like that. Uh, wow. and, and to say, since then, I've been producing novels more or less regularly. I've got, about, I've got eight out now. And, yeah. Um, also doing a lot of a lot of other stuff. I mean, I'm kind of moonlighting elsewhere as uh, as well, especially in the games industry. Uh, and that came about. That started, I think, back in 2008, when some guys from Electronic Arts approached me and just asked if I'd be interested in doing some game work for them. And I, yeah. I had recently, so recently, I, it was only when I got published in 2002 or maybe the year following that I really got into gaming because I'd, I'd I'd not had I'd been a teacher before that. I had neither the leisure nor the uh, 
the, the money to really afford. <laughs> uh, and I have become crazy enthusiastic about gaming, and and so this was like a gift from the gods that suddenly this this these guys showing up and saying, "Oh, we're huge fans. Um, would you like to to come and write for us?" Which you know, yeah. I, I had to think all of all of about thirty seconds before I answered that. One. <laughs> uh, now let me see. Uh, yeah, so I, I went off and I worked for Electronic Arts, worked on a number of games. I, I through Electronic Arts, I ended up working for Crytek on the Crisis 2 uh, yeah. cross-platform sequel to the original Crisis. And yeah. at the same time, I was also working on the reboot of Syndicate, which was something that Electronic Arts had, had farmed out to a studio in Sweden. Right, yeah. And, yeah, and along, along the way, I also did a bit of consulting for a couple of other projects, uh, which I can't tell you about, or, well, if I told you about it, I don't have to kill you. Uh, <laughs> you know, just some stuff that got punted my way, but again, by EA and, and some of their associated uh, uh, studios. Did a little bit of consulting for a few other games. And, yeah, that, that all funded along quite nicely. Uh, and then, of course, obviously, with the, cr- the recession and thing, the games industry kind of went to sleep a bit after especially yeah. the, sh- the shift to the new platforms and so forth. So I was yeah. doing a little bit of independent consulting on and off with other kinds of games. I consulted for a, a game uh, a, a game in Germany. It was a, a, a browser game. And done a couple of other bits and pieces. And, yeah, I mean, that's, that's roughly where I am. So I'm kind of comfortable existing in, in the game writing world. I'm obviously cool. comfortable as a novelist because that's my day job. I've also done a little bit of comic book work. Uh, I was again approached, for, very nice, very very flattering for me, I was approached by an editor of Marvel back in, I think, 2004, asking if, if I'd like to reboot the Black Widow character. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, again, John the Strength basically of having read my stuff and said, oh, I really like the way this guy handles female characters. So yeah, I get pulled in for that and I did a couple of graphic novels for Marvel there. And uh, I, when I was working on Crisis, I w- also did a tie-in graphic novel for them. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, the day job is, is novelist, but uh, also Moonlight, quite interesting, you know, quite... Keep, uh, I think it's always good to keep challenging yourself, to keep putting fresh challenges in place, trying to learn new stuff, trying to do go to fresh places. And, yeah. and obviously that's been great because, you know, learning comic books was great, uh, learning uh, learning to, to write for games, learning the, the ins and outs of the games industry, that was great as well. And I'm kind of in a place now where it feels like, I don't know, they feel, it feels like there's a kind of cross-media dynamic to everything I do because a lot of my success has been based upon the fact that I had... I had high-profile movie deals for some of my work. Uh, fans in the games industry led me to be working in games. Fans in the comic book industry led me to be walk- working in comics. So, you know, yeah. I guess I'm standing at the crossroads. It was really nice, you know. It's- yeah, well, I mean, there's, there is a, a much bigger crossover of, of all this sort of stuff now. I mean, certainly in the recent years, gaming in particular, I think, has, has become a much stronger storytelling medium than it ever has been. Um you know, uh, you we think, we think so. I, I have a feeling. I mean, I don't know. I'm asking that as a, that's not a rhetorical question because, I, as I said, my gaming. I didn't start gaming until until 2000. Well, I I think I think for for a long time it it, it was sort of the the story was was maybe um, a, a wraparound for being able to stick loads of puzzles together. You know, well, I'm, in, I'm, in I'm thinking of stuff like you know, Planescape Torment for example, which is a game I've never played. Everyone right. I talk to in the games industry just goes, oh, man, it was this amazing game way back when. A really primitive, you know, sort of level of gaming in, in the sense of when it was when it existed. But at the same time, apparently, it had this fantastic narrative and really, really smart storytelling. 
Well, it's interesting. There's a, there's an odd mix now because you've got your your kind of console games, which are things like your Call of Duty, which which has a basic story in a sort of single player, yeah. and then yeah, someone told them told them about story, and they kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but, but, it, one of those. Um, but but then you've got the sort of certainly on the PC gaming side. I mean, which is more my kind of area. Um, you know, you've got stuff like all the stuff that comes out from Telltale. So, you know, they're, they're doing things like the the adaptation they did of A Wolf Among Us. They did... Well, um, I guess that's they, the point-and-click ones, is Yeah, all the point-and-click ones. So, you know, Wolf Among Us, Game of Thrones, um, their um, Walking Dead game, the first one, yeah. uh, which I think Gary Witter wrote some of that. That was just fantastic. Mm. Um, so they've been really good. The Bioware games, the big kind of um, operatic kind of stuff like Mass Effect yeah. and Dragon. Age and yeah, uh, really get a lot of a lot of love for their, their storytelling. They're, they're very strong on it. But that's what I'm saying. I, I have a feeling that you know, there's always been a strong thread of, of sort of, of of need for narrative, if you like. But it's always it's it's kind of it's constantly jostling for position with the fact that games are a very immediate, visceral fall. Yeah. And so you've always got the guy who just you know who always skip the skip the cutscenes, skip the movies, zip through. All I want to do is. Whatever, whatever yeah. the standard, the standard game dynamic is, and <laughs> yeah. that um, you know that seems to be uh, yeah. I say I, I think it's it's an ongoing struggle. If you, know. yeah. I don't know that there was ever a time when when there weren't people in games who really really wanted to. No, no, you, you poss- possibly possibly right. I, I think I think possibly just the the budgets have have maybe grown to a point where where they can they can work the stories out a lot more and, you know, they are sort of more cinematic and, you know, it's more of that going on. Um, And, I mean, you look at something like like, uh, Grand Theft Auto, which is, I think one of the reasons that's so popular is because it has this great balance of you could got this world that you can play in and wander around and not really have anything to do with the story, but then you've got quite this strong story if you want to dive into it to go back to. Oh, yeah, very much the case, I I think... That's that's one. I mean, you know, that's one of the things. I, I also, I think, I found with the Far Cry games, the, the recent interaction yeah. Far Cry, same kind of thing. That there is, that, you know, that, what what I what I find going on. I thought I thought Far Cry, I think, succeeded very well with three and four um, in in, yeah. in the in narrative terms. But I think, I say, I I I think there's a sort of failure to. To value it, if you like, uh, because obviously yeah. the, what everybody loves about games, I mean, take Far Cry as a good, good case in point, what everybody loves about those games is the fantastic graphics, the amazing open world, the, you know, the fact that you can slide through the grass and watch it move. Uh, and, yeah. and, you know, and those are all amazing things, so I don't think, you know, it's not that they shouldn't, shouldn't be valued, but I think, again, what tends to happen is because narrative, it's, it's, you know, it's such an old thing, we're so used to narrative as a as an aspect of our entertainment, of our art, that it, it, it's sort of in the background. It's, you know, everyone, no one really notices it unless it's bad. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, and then it gets called out. I mean, oh, what terrible narrative. But I think, you know, my sense of certainly from, from having, you know, been inside the games industry for several years is that there's a definite drive towards that. And you, you can see, you know, the fact that things like The Last of Us was so hugely successful uh, yeah, the fact that, that Naughty Dog in general, you know, with the Uncharted games as well, that this, yeah. this is a, this is something that hasn't gone out of fashion. Um, I think it's always been there, and I think it you know it continues to bubble away. Um, yeah. and 
what, what you know, good storytellers will basically take whatever the tools are at any given moment. You know, the guys who, who wrote Flamescape Torment had a, a very limited uh, set of tools to work with, obviously. Uh, these days, the guys who built Far Cry 4 have got an amazing set of tools. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but there remains this sort of desire to sort of, you know, if, to grab what tools there are and then, then say, right, ah, you know, let's tell a story because people like stories, you know. Um, so, I'm, you know, from my point, I'm, I'm kind of upbeat about that. And the, to, to shift to the the, um, the land fit for heroes uh, storytelling. Yes. Uh, yeah. The the issue there is, I you know, for me, it's when I found out because I, I I didn't really know that this this you know this was happening. It was again, it's a cutting edge thing, which I is, I, I love to be. That's where I love to be out on the. Yeah. And it was really nice because I was talking to the guys at Narborian and. and you're going, yeah, this is brilliant, because there is, you know, appears to be a market for this kind of thing. People want to be told stories, and obviously, you know, prose narrative is a very, very efficient way of doing that, in terms of, uh, yeah. you know, compared to trying to build an enormous world, or or um, also or create millions of, of cinematic cutscenes. And, yeah. you know, on the one hand, obviously it's great for me, I'm delighted, because because my books are getting, you know, getting put into the, into the, uh, the mix. But also, I just find it a really cheering a really cheering uh, signal, if you like, that you know, gaming is is nice and solidly on the road to to good storytelling, to meaning to meaningful storytelling. It hasn't. So there's been a lot of moaning of, re- of late about you know, oh, you know, it's just it's just become about twitch shooting and and you know, the, this sense that yeah. the golden age of the RPGs has, has come and gone and and uh, you know. Well, it, I think it's that classic thing, isn't it? That everyone likes to moan about how bad. It is. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I, my sense of it is that, that as the you know the, the scope broadens, the different platforms that you can that you can play on broaden. All of this, all of, as all of this goes on, that need for narrative hasn't gone away, and it just keeps bubbling up wherever you look. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, one of one of the interesting things uh, you were saying, yeah, you you said about the um uh, the the game industry kind of closing down a bit when the the crash hit. Um, I, I think one of the things that started that sort of came out of that or helped expand that was the fact that a lot of developers of these little indie games yeah, um, started to pop up. So you're getting more of these people looking at other formats of of ways that they can build games that don't need these enormous graphic en- engines to run them. So you know you get things like like the interactive game book. I'm just very aware that we haven't actually mentioned sort of how, how it actually works. Do you, do you want to explain a bit about what the um, about how the, how the game is sort of put together? In well, no, to the extent I can, because yeah. this is very much a case of me sort of standing there on the sidelines and gaping with awe at what what these guys can do. Uh, yeah. But basically, it's the um, yeah I, I don't know if, what was it called, fighting fantasy, the thing back in the eighties where yes, know, the fighting fantasy novels. Like, yeah, well, those adventures where you could. You'd read to the end, you get to the bottom of the page, and it would say, right, now you're hitting with your axe, uh, or you're offering a biscuit. And if you offer him a biscuit, go to page 72, and if you offer the yes. axe, go to page 104. Uh, and I, you know, those passed through my consciousness. I sort of, I, I, I was never really into them, but I saw them on the shelves at the time, and I was aware yeah. of them. And obviously, what's happened here is that someone has come along, and a number of someone's have come along and gone, look, look at this completely boundaryless, Thing called a tablet, where we can have yeah. as many pages as we want. We don't have to worry about binding it. We've got, you know, it's utterly, utterly, you know, we set our own limits as to how big we want this thing to be. Hey, yeah. why don't we go back and give that a go? And 
so again, you've got this this idea that you're 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 following the narrative through and you're making the, the choices in as the narrative goes along, uh, but there's just so much more because you're you're working off a, a tablet or an iPhone or whatever, and and so you're not limited by the the, the concept that you've got to be able to hold this whole book in your hand and it's going to only have a certain number of pages and so forth. Yeah, and I mean, one of the things that they showed me that really blew me away was that, for example, it being fantasy, there are going to be combats. There'll be um, points where you come up against bad guys of one sort or another, and you've got to fight. Yeah, uh, but then and two things that, that blew me away. One thing is that you, you that's much more handled, much more in a, a tabletop gaming fashion. You know, yes. So you will actually have, you know, you will have credits and and, um, and abilities and certain capacities depending on how you've. Read, gone through the story, and you're yeah. up against this guy with who also has capacity. But the thing that really blew my mind was they also introduce a randomizer. So it's some of these fights, some of these skirmishes, it will come out differently every single time. Yeah. So it's not again, you know, where they've, they've taken it off the printed page, where obviously you, you know, once you've done it once, you know, oh, if I go to page 173, I know that you know the goblin's waiting for me with a with a with a stone mace. Now. Yeah. It's that that ability because it's being coded because it's going into the into the tablets and the and the devices. It means that yeah, you have a randomizer running so that you can come into the combat. And you probably conduct that combat twenty different twenty times and it comes out differently each time. Uh, so I kind of you know for me it's great because it's a, it's initially a fairly basic concept storytelling through prose, which the the technology is is allowing you to open up to unfold like sort of origami trick into all these different dimensions and possibilities yeah regarding the actual um story is it is it directly following the uh land fit for heroes novels or is it sort of a parallel running parallel well, to that is it completely a story we looked at that and we decided that there wasn't much point in trying to tell the story that had already been told in the books. Uh, yeah. Because obviously if you read the books then you already know the story. And also it yeah. kind of messes with the... with the uh, Yeah, with the choose your own adventure kind of idea. Well, it becomes, the problem is it, becomes, it messes with the, the, the reality of the world, you know, and you start yeah. sort of... And I, I, you were saying, well, we can't unfix the things that are in the books. You know, that isn't going to work. We, we just have yeah. to remain rock solid. So what you've got is you've got characters who are, who are not visible in the books themselves, but they are, they are around. And so it's kind of yeah. like taking your camera off the, you know, the guy riding at the head of the army or whatever, and suddenly turning around to these guys who are on foot, you know, about uh, 500 yards back, and you're getting yeah. a view on those guys. And they, now they they end up interacting with the um, with the the, princip- the principal um, protagonist of, yeah. of the trilogy, of the characters I wrote. But the point is, those interactions because they're not considered important by the uh, by my protagonists don't come up anywhere in the books because those guys they, they don't remember them because these guys are yeah. much more rank and file they you know they they have their own stories and those stories feed into what's going on in the main narrative and are very important to that main narrative but they 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 kind of run parallel so although they affect the narrative the, the protagonists of the books don't, aren't aware that that's going on. They aren't aware that, yeah. it's, that it's been affected in that way. Uh, so it's kind, of, it's kind of clever. It's it's like a kind of, you know, it's almost it's almost like a, a remix or a, a kind of a revisionist uh, retelling of a, of a of a story, uh, where you're going into it from a different angle. You're taking some different characters. You, you your your furniture, the furniture of the of yeah. the world is the same, uh, and you you just skim, you just zip in. So at various points they do knock um, bang up against the, the the characters from the books and some yeah. interaction with them, and then go away. Uh, 
Uh, yeah. You know, so how's the how's the writing process been with, with this? Well, it's been great. I mean, I'm not I'm, I'm not writing it because a again these are skills I I don't have the, yeah. the, the skill of writing the that kind of a narrative where you've got the constant branching and the possibilities uh, being endless and so forth. That is something I'm very happy to hand over to the the guys at Narborium because you know this is what they do. And yeah. One of the things I learned very early on when I was working in gaming is that you sort of you have you, you go and look at the people, the skills that these people that people have got, and then you 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 fit in with those. Uh, so I I didn't want to, you know, I mean I think that there is a kind of meme going around the idea, especially cross media, as we said, this this whole cross media thing has become very big, and there is this kind of meme that you know, pure art can't be changed, and that you you it's the old the old joke about uh, James Evan Cain, I think it was, where they they asked him, uh, oh how do you how do you feel about what Hollywood has done to your books? And he turns in his chair and he goes, Hollywood hasn't done anything to my books. Look, on yes. the shelf over there. Exactly yeah. the way I wrote them. And, and I think there is, this, there is a kind of a meme that, that, that worries at the idea of adaptation and, and, yeah. and so forth. And I don't think, you know, as long as the original material is intact, I don't think yes. that really matters. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, well, look at look at Game of Thrones. You, they're, they're in a very odd situation with something like Game of Thrones now, where 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 the TV show, which has become this enormous monolithic kind of hit, has got to start veering away from the yes. books because it has written the books. So so um, so yeah, they're, they're into kind of an odd area. But yeah, you very much the kind of mantra of the you know the the books, the book, the movies, the movie, the TV show, it shows yeah, the TV show. You know. you know, if you've captured something that is is you know appeals across media to different people who are you know di- who who provide their entertainment in a variety of different forms, you've got to allow the flexibility. You, you, the, yeah. the, the tree has to bend with that. You can't otherwise yeah. it will break. And so I was very you know when I came up when Navorian came to me and. and because again, it was really, really, really flattering. I can't, you know, I can't emphasize how flattering they came to me. You know, I, yeah. I just got mailed out of the blue. Hi, we, this is what we do, and we would love to use your books as the basis for one of these. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, they they sat me down and said, look, this is how we do it. And I, my, I basically, as part of the agreement that I signed up to, said, all right, well, so I basically will act as, I guess, I guess the best equivalent is is a showrunner. Yeah. So my job is to sort of sit there and we go through ideas. Some of the ideas are mine. Some of the ideas belong to the Novelian team. And uh, and my job is to, is to shoot them down if they don't fit into the, the world, the context. So someone yeah. will say, oh, and then we could, you know, then we, the, he could do that. And I go, no, no, he can't do that because yeah. at that yeah. point you, it's not possible to go there because of this is, you know, that, that's going on or there, there's a war being fought here. They wouldn't, he wouldn't be able to get through to, uh, to this place. Um, yeah. So I have, it's great because basically what it is, is there's the sound pit. I get to play in it, but I don't actually do, have to do much of the heavy lifting, uh, <laughs> which is perfect, yeah. isn't it? Fantastic. That's what you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing is, is, I mean, really, really nice, very flattering, uh, working with, um, with this guy, Dennis, who's, who's the senior editor. Um, yeah. he's, a very, he's really enthusiastic about it. So he's, we're sitting chatting about uh, the narrative threads we're going to have, and he's, and he's asking me all these questions about the, the books and the background of the books and, you know, what happened, um, you know, what was going on behind the scenes when this happened in the book. Yeah. And at some point he said to me, he said, this isn't actually that important. He said, I just really wanted to know. <laughs> um, you know, because he, he was a fan. He, he, he yeah, the work. yeah. And that's, you know, obviously 
working, working, you know, someone coming and saying we'd like to use your work for something like this is, is very flattering. But what's even more flattering is when the people who want to do it are, are huge outright fans of what you've written and really yeah. like, you know, they want to tinker with it, they want to play with it. I love this aspect of it. Can we do that? Can we have a character who does this and then has to go there? And, um, you know, and my job as a showrunner really is to sort of, is to mostly go, yeah, actually, that would be, a, that's really cool. I wish I'd thought of that when I was writing the book. <laughs> but occasionally yeah. to rein them, rein them in and say that doesn't really work. It won't gel with, with the you know what's in what's in the books. Uh, yeah, it, you you've got to have some. You, it's it's there's a certain amount of flexibility, but obviously you you can't break the fiction because if you yeah. do, then the people who are actually crossing media, the people who have read the books and are also going to to use the yeah. book, are gonna. You know, if 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 you break the fiction severely, then there's a problem because people pick up that dissonance and it spoils it for them. Uh, yeah, I mean, if if you go on to do more more uh, Lanfear Heroes books, mm. um, is is there a chance you may end up if they've come up with a good idea, you end up folding it back into the, the main story? Well, I mean, I, you know, that's the thing. I, 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 you know, the contract with my publishers was for a trilogy, and. Uh, Okay. I never really gave it much thought. I, 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 that's going to be on my grave. I never really gave it much thought. <laughs> I, I never gave it much thought. I just got sat down, and started writing, and produced, you know, first one novel, and then then sort of the, a sequel, if you like, and then I had to wrap it all up in the final book. That's why the, the final yeah. book is so long. Uh, but um, you know, people have asked me, uh, "Oh, are you going to do another one? You know, are, you, are we going to see these characters again?" and my, you know, my response to that is always, well, yeah, I mean, you know, never say never. Uh, yeah. I couldn't, at the moment, I couldn't imagine it because I, 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 it's really played out for me. I, I really did drive yes. home all the narrative nails. Uh, but you never know, you know, you, time goes on, you, you get older, and as you say, you get, either you have an idea yourself or someone hands you an idea. And, yeah. uh, and then you go with it. So I mean, if, if this takes off, you know, if, if it really flies, then I mean, there's quite potentially we might actually be able to revisit the characters from the books, but also possibly the characters from from the um, you know from the Scribe narrative. Well, yeah, the expanded universe. Yeah, exactly. And do something with that. And I, 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 you know, I'm very much I like the fact one of the the most flattering things as a, a fiction writer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And I think especially a uh, science fiction or fantasy writer, because I think if you write a detective story set in London, say, okay, you create yeah. a character, but really London is London. You're not creating a, a different place. You're, 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 yeah. So people get attached to your characters, but that's, you know, they're following the character. I think when you, with science fiction and fantasy, people don't just get attached to the characters. They get attached to the entire world that you've created. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't, you know, they really want to go and live in it. Um, you know, and that's that's a really nice feeling. That's because you you know that's when you know you've done the job. You know, that's when you know you've you've created enough sort of telling detail, if you like, that it stands up. That the, the, yeah. the fiction doesn't feel fictional; it feels realistic. Um, yeah. And I, that's again immensely. It's immensely flattering when people have that experience. So to me, I mean, yeah, you know, I think George George R. R. Martin just must be 
beside himself with joy because <laughs> he's got an entire planet practically <laughs> yeah. to live in his world. Um, yeah, you know, and that's that, I say it's it's the highest accolade. It really is that. The, I always laugh about this when I'm at, when I'm you know being interviewed or I'm at, uh, at a convention or something and and I say you know people come up to me and they say what did the character do after the, the you know after that the, the end of the book did, what did he do then and, and I, my response was I have no clue <laughs> I didn't think about that but although you know although I, I I tend to make a joke about it, I tend to laugh about it I you know behind that there is this kind of joy this pleasure that someone is so invested in what you've written yeah they don't yeah. see that it ends when you know for them it's like an ongoing carpet and the carpet doesn't yeah. stop just because there's a door it's like wow if you open that door <laughs> you know where would what would the carpet look like on the other side and yeah that's lovely I I I say I I really it delights me it really does and yeah. uh, obviously the you know, the point with, with this sort of cross-media era that we're living in is that there are so many different options and angles to take. Uh, mm. And each of them, if they're done well, because to be honest, I mean, there is a lot of bad cross-media work done as well. Let's just <laughs> pretend. But if it's yeah. done well, it can be done in such a way as it's, it always casts light back. It always sheds light back on the, the, the sort of the original material, the, the, you know, the base concept. And that's lovely. You know, thought, yeah. thought-provoking. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I often think that that um, Star Wars probably wouldn't be quite the monolith thing that it still is, had it not been for the fact that there was an awful lot of people effectively writing um, high-profile fan fiction for, yes, <laughs> for so many years in between and creating that expanded universe, okay. which I know they've kind of chucked a lot of it now. But yes, you know, I, I think it's an interesting argument. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, I like Star Wars well enough. I was never a huge fan, but. Um, Oh, yeah. So I haven't read any of the, the, the sort of the supporting material, if you like. No, what I've been assured by a number of, of, uh, of fans of it is that some of the very finest stories and, and sort of uh, conceptual like, um, narrative ideas have, are, are nothing, you know, they, they're nowhere in, it's not the movies. Uh, it's, these are things that have been written by somebody else, you know. Yeah. I mean, somebody told me, uh, Karen Travis, that she she wrote quite a few uh, tie-in novels, I think, for um, Star Wars. And they said it's really cool because she takes these ideas that you see in the movie and then she does something really interesting with it, something that you never thought of at the time. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, you know, someone has said to me, because I, I, as I, you know, I've said I'm... I'm I like I like Star Wars well enough, but I'm not a huge fan. And they and I, they always said to me, "Oh no, you if you you should you should get in through Karen Travis's novels. You should get in through that end because she really does some cool stuff with uh, yeah. with with, uh, with the story." Uh, and that's the thing, yeah. I think uh, I mean likewise with Halo. You know, Halo, which again was yes. kind of left me cold. I have to say. I mean, I, I I've got to say, it's a very well built game. You know, the, the, the yeah, yeah, but essentially it's a shooter. Well, it's a shooter. I mean, it's a shooter on rails. Yeah, I mean, you know, not that there's anything wrong with shooters, but I think that, you know, I I came to Halo with huge recommendations and uh, played it, and I thought, yeah, it's very well put together, very well, you know, the the the, the visuals are beautiful and the controller set is great and so forth. But it just didn't really get to me. And then again, when I talked to people who were fans. What I found was that the conversation inevitably, sometimes only after a couple of minutes, would turn to some something that wasn't in any of the games. It's something yeah, it was, was in a tie-in novel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's, you know, that's what's going on. There is that whole sense that that people get inside this thing and inhabit it, and then and then 
as more more content gets created, you you actually start to see some really cool stuff emerge. Uh, conversely, as, uh, obviously, the other problem is that you can strip mine it to death. And, yeah. uh, and you know that that I think is that's possibly one of the reasons why I tend not to read much in the way of tie-in fiction generally because I yeah, um, yeah. but I think you know you it, the fact that it's so massively successful uh, is something that you have to you know it, it should be a flag it should be a signal and that the people really want these extended universes and they want to live inside these these constructed realities and really yeah. you know push the boundaries they they're not just it's not just you know it's not passive. Entertainment, and that, that's the thing I really like. It's not passive entertainment; it's reading with with active intelligence. That you're yeah. not just reading the story, and you know, oh, tell me a story, tell me a story. You're reading, and all the time you're thinking, yeah, but I wonder what's over that other hill there. And you know, what if he hadn't taken, you know, what if he hadn't taken that path? What if he he'd said to the old, guy, no, yeah. you're just an old drunk. I'm not going down that way. That would have been a whole other story. And and you know, obviously, with so I'll describe a novel, and that's the potential is to yeah. And now let's go and have a look at that other story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's cool. Um, when's it when's it come out? Uh, launch in October, I believe. Uh, like I said, because I'm going spare with this move at the moment. I <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, but uh, but I, there is actually a countdown. If you go to their website, uh, the yes. website, they have got a countdown there, and been. you'll be able to find out to the minute how how launch it. <laughs> Cool. Okay, I shall. I shall make sure I, I link that when I, I put this up. Um, so, a couple of couple of other questions. Um, any news on the on the movie? Is the movie still a thing, or was it sort of bought and then he's stuck in development hell at this point? Oh, well, the carbon you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, no, it's it's very much live. In fact, I was I was emailing back and forth with some guys in Hollywood uh, yesterday, I think. Or- Oh, okay. Day before. No, it's very much a live issue. There there have been some developments which I, I can't I cannot talk yes. about, otherwise they will you know Yes. Demons, demons from the west coast of America will parachute through my ceiling and <laughs> cut my throat. Um, but no, there have been some developments. It's very much still a live issue, it's very much ongoing. Uh, but it's just you know it's 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 a big project and uh, you know this is, not, yes. this is not the sort of thing you give to Fox Searchlight and they go away and make it for for three million quid. Um, yeah. It is a big thing, and consequently, getting all the pieces in place and you know assembling the the, uh, the 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 machinery to to actually take it to the screen is is a complex process, and it does take time. Uh, yeah, you, you, I, I was told years and years ago when I first when I got my first movie deal, uh, told by my editor Simon Spanton, he just said, "Well, look, Richard, you should take the money and then and just don't don't let dwell on it." <laughs> because who knows they might make the movie next year it might take them 10 years who knows and yes. um, yeah actually we're looking at what is it 12 nearly 13 years in counting so it doesn't pay to uh, to worry too much about it yes but it is still out there very much live yes very Good. much live as I said I was I was in contact with some guys about specifics of, of the deal uh, certainly less than two days ago uh, and really? it's very much on it's a happening thing yeah Excellent. That's that's good news. Um, I've got one final question because we've been on for 35 minutes. So there's one, one final question. Um, we cover a lot of TV on the site, so we always ask this to people. Have you got a favourite TV show that you're watching at the moment or something that you kind of were completely in love with, uh, you, you just just sort of thing that you like to watch? Well, several, I think, yeah. I mean, if you're talking specifically about something that's science fiction or fantasy, but, uh, I think... Doesn't have to be. No, 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 no. Well, I, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of David Simon's work. So you know, The Wire, Tremay, uh, and 
generation kill and so forth. And he's got a new one coming out soon, which is about the basically the desegregation of housing in in New York. Uh, right. It's called yeah. I think it's, it's called Show Me a Hero, or is this is this a hero or something? Uh, and it it looks like it's going to be very very interesting. Uh, so I you know that's a, that's a definite for me. Uh, I'm also going to get hold of uh, True Detective series two. I don't have Sky Atlantic, so I, I okay. you know, um, I know there's been a lot of negative press about it, but I you know the first season was just so fantastic. It was such yeah. a piece of of, of genius on so many levels that I, I feel I kind of owe it to, <laughs> to, the, to, the, to the IP to actually go to, to actually watch the second season even even if it is a bit of a disappointment I don't know we'll, we'll see um, as far as you know within genre itself uh, I, I I very much liked uh, Misfits when it first came out the first, oh, yeah. the, the first two great. seasons I thought were great after that I think it lost its way a bit but um, yes. but I say I love the first two seasons back. and again these kind of quirky you know Utopia again was was something yes, very, very interesting uh, Humans also started out interesting I have to say I feel it, it uh, dropped the ball a bit because it kind of I don't, know, it was, I don't know. It was weird. It was like as if halfway through they suddenly became terrified of the of the material that they were dealing in, yeah. and it stopped being about the the issue of artificial intelligence and at which point, what point can you call this life? So yeah. it just became about the tribulations of this this nice guardian reading middle class family, <laughs> uh, and it, it really did. I mean, the entire the entire weight of the narrative just pivoted towards that and away yes. from what the synths actually were. Yeah. And you ended up with this bizarre kind of fudge where it's like, well, these synths aren't like other synths. And, you know, for me, the whole point was what's interesting and at the same time terrifying about this is the fact that the, you, who knows if they've got consciousness or not, or who knows whether they will evolve consciousness. You, whereas the, the, yes. the program seems to end up saying, well, you've got these synths over here and you can, it doesn't matter what you do to them because they're just machines and there's just, you can smash them if you want because it's just like a coffee maker. And, and these yeah. ones over here, um, these ones, well, they're special because they have consciousness and you have to treat them like human beings. And it just, it kind of totally, yeah. totally bypassed the whole issue. You sort of wanted to wanted to end on the point where that rather than rather than um, the, the mending where they did, you wanted to end on the point where they released the thing that gave all of all of them consciousness. Yeah, or to discover that actually that was a. I mean, I can't for a little while. I thought that this might be where they were going. To discover that actually that was a red herring, and that the, they've all got the capacity for it. It just, it yes. just depends on what happens to them, or whether yeah. something triggers it, because. You know that's the that's the fascinating thing, and I, it was a real shame because you could see them kind of they start to explore it, and then they kind of pull back, and there'd be this kind of knee jerk morality. Like there was a big thing about you know the, the one that was a prostitute for a while, and so it suddenly yeah. becomes you know intensely and angrily um, feminist, and 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 it was just like it, it's no, you know, yeah, this is not this is yeah. not the issue. The, the question is if you create. Uh, um, something that it, whose purpose is to do this, you know. Um, the issue then is not a question. It's not a question of you know. Oh, well, is it is it a conscious conscious entity or not? The question is what you know. What are we doing in creating these things that are essentially to provide certain services? And you know, and will have if you know at what level can you sort of say no? It's just a machine. And, and, and yeah. it just became by the end. It was, there was this really really prudish, basic kind of moral tone to everything. Uh, yeah. And, it, and they say, in, in the end, the heroes were the, the nice middle class family who, you know, sorted out their, their marriage and didn't get divorced and, 
everyone, <laughs> you know, they lived happily ever after, and the synths uh, just sort of disappear into the landscape. And I, I, it was just, you compare that with, say, I don't know, to, to take the obvious source material, to Blade Runner. Yeah. There's never yeah. any attempt to sort of humanise the, the, um, the replicants at all. It's just like, no, look, they, this is what they are, and that's really fucking scary. Yeah. And, we, you know, you're never really asked to think, um, oh, well, you know, have they been given human consciousness? And is it, is it you know, the, 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 the fact that Pris was a, um, you know, a pleasure model, a basic pleasure model, as they say, you know, essentially, yes, the same as this, this uh, girl who was uh, yeah. human. It, that's just there. It's just like, here is an incredibly ugly and unpleasant factor of, of this world. Uh, just deal yeah. with that. And uh, you're never, you know, you're never, it's just, it, it begs the question, morality is beside the point for that in that movie, because the, you bring your own morality to it. And yeah. I say it felt to me as if with humans, they had a really good premise going, and then they just got terrified of, of yeah. where it would take them. And they, yeah. I, I wish, you know, Charlie, Charlie Brooker, Brooker had had it, because, you know, yes. <laughs> if, if it had been a Black Mirror production, then... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, interesting that Christmas Black Mirror. Uh, I should mention the yeah, Black Mirror is another another of my favourites. I think it's really brilliant TV. Uh, yeah. But again, that Christmas special, uh, which dealt in some of these these issues of, of what is a consciousness, what is a what is a, a living human, uh, that was just brilliant because it didn't. It made no apologies. It made no attempt to make you feel comfortable. It, it just it just went. No, look, this is what technology might be able to do one day. How do you feel about that? <laughs> uh, and what do you do? You think that will be safe in human hands? And <laughs> yes. Yeah. To which your answer is hell no. <laughs> Awesome. I, I liked humans, um, but but yes, you, you're entirely right about the way that it, it, it pivots that focus. Um, well, I think, yeah. it is, I think it is a big problem, and it's it's a problem that you see. It's interesting because I didn't expect to, to see that problem in a in a was it Channel Four? It was Channel Four production, wasn't it? I didn't expect yeah. to see that because I always sort of trusted Channel Four to to make fairly cutting edge. Um, uncomfortable drama and uh, I wasn't expecting that that felt much more I don't know if it was because they, they needed to sell it to the American market maybe uh, it felt much more like the kind of thing you'd see in, well, in I mean, a it's, PG sci-fi movie well, you know the interesting thing is it's a Channel 4 AMC production oh, AMC is it ah yeah, uh, it's Channel 4 AMC, and it's Kudos as well. And I mean, Kudos are the people behind um, uh, the Life on Mars. And, well, I never um, saw Life on Mars. I think I was abroad when that was on. I, I, uh, okay. Uh, Definitely worth one digging out. Is it? Is it? It's, okay, I'll, yes. have to, I'll have to check it out. Because, uh, yeah, say, so I, was, I was a bit taken aback, because, I mean, it, uh, you know, if you contrast it with something like Misfits or Utopia, both of those... Um, Again, you had to bring your own morality to the feast because the sh no, nobody in it was going to provide you with a morality. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, I find that that's, to me, that's what good, challenging drama should do. And I, 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 it always feels to me as if, in genre, we, we, we have a bit of a deficit there. We don't seem as comfortable with the really hard-hitting stuff the way that... You, so I, I, I keep saying, you know, where is, where is the science fiction equivalent of The Wire? Uh, yes. You know, we're still waiting for it. Uh, yes. you know, it hasn't arrived yet. And I yeah. thought humans, for the first two or three episodes, I really thought humans might be it. Uh, yes. And, and, uh, and then no. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, they get the second season, so maybe we'll see what happens there. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe they'll, I mean, you know, things can alter quite dramatically in the second season, so, so we'll see where they go with yeah. it. But, uh, it's a bit but, like uh, it seems, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, what what's next for you as well? Well, um, I'm as long as well as sort of shadowing the uh, the Narborium uh, uh, game book thing. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm I still do a little bit of consulting for games here and there. Uh, again, mostly stuff I can't talk to you about. <laughs> Uh, yes. But, uh, no, I mean, I've got a novel that I'm working on about halfway through, uh, which is set in the same universe as uh, my book, Black Man. Okay. Which, I don't know if you've read it. Uh, it's, uh, no, no, I haven't no, read that it's set, uh, Well, Black Man was set about 100 years from now, and it, it posited a world in which they created a number of genetic modifi- genetically modified humans. Uh, okay. Nothing very X-Men about it. I mean, they, these guys don't have sort of super ramped strength or x-ray vision or anything like that what's been changed is is the psychology and so you've got there's these little twists to and they're called a a, a sort of a term of abuse is twist they're called twist because right you know the dna helix and everything uh but they they're just modified slightly mentally in order to be suitable for certain jobs and uh, the the protagonist of of black man he he was he was a he was uh, a variant 13 and these guys were basically modified to be super soldiers that soldiering it didn't work out because actually they didn't understand what they were messing around with and they found they found out that although the variant 13s turn out to be very successful survivor types they make really shit soldiers because they're not really good at taking orders <laughs> so, but anyway, that was Black Man, and that was set in, let's say, 2107. Uh, came out in 2007, and I'm now working on something which is in the same universe, but it's it's considerably further forward in the future. Uh, right. Another at least another hundred years, probably more like another 200 years, and it's set on Mars, which now is a has a thriving colony. Uh, okay. It actually, has two thriving colonies, but I don't want to spoil any surprises. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, I'm going back to my roots because I've been away quite a long time. I'm going back to the first person uh, noir narrative that I used for the Kovach books for Altered Carbon and, and ah, so forth. Cool. Uh, but this, this is a little, you know, I, one of the problems with the Altered Carbon novels I always found was that it, the whole thing of being able to swap your body always seemed like a bit of a, a get out, you know. And so, although I did manage to have some horrible things happen to my protagonists, it always felt like, it's like, yeah, yeah, but it's not permanent, is it? <laughs> and so I've tried since to stick with things where there is a permanence to, you know, to death and to damage. And uh, because I think otherwise it's very easy to lose any any sense of weight in the narrative. If, yeah. if your protagonist can be sort of blown to smithereens and then just reconstituted, then you kind of lose any yes. sense of you know, worrying about him. You yeah, danger. Danger, and also, you know, loss, the sense of, you know, of yes. damage and so forth. I think, you know, people, the most interesting thing about people is, people, um, is their scars. And I, I, you know, I don't mean literally they're just physical yeah, scars. No. But, you know, um, people live, and in living, they, they, they damage themselves. They get scarred mentally and physically. They, they, they sort of get the, 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 the edges knocked off them. And that, to me, is what's interesting about telling stories, that human beings with, with a history. With, it's why I'm not very into the whole YA thing, because I always find with YA protagonists, it's like, yeah, you're 17, what the fuck do you know? <laughs> to me, it doesn't feel... I mean, it's, you know, sure, you can tell a story with a young, young character, obviously, but I always yes. feel that I'm wading around in, in sort of ankle-deep water because there's, yeah. there's nothing to fall back on. Yeah, I prefer yeah, yeah. protagonists who've had a, few, a couple of decades of, of yeah. banging their head against things. You know, so, yeah. so there is, but there's a shape to them. Um, and and I cannot remember at all. Oh yes, yes, sorry. Uh, 
And the point, I say, the, the point with what I've, the stuff I've tried to write since is that I've tried to make sure that that doesn't go away. You can't just shrug yourself into a new body and therefore not have any of the. Yeah. I tried in all to cover. I mean, the sense is that you can leave behind your physical self, but you always carry the, the sort of the, the, the mental the, scars, the emotional yeah. and mental scars because you will sort of live through those things. Um, but it, it sometimes felt a bit facile, and I, I wanted to, to stick with something where you don't walk away from things. Yeah. So, if an arm gets ripped off, an arm gets ripped <laughs> off. Yeah, and maybe you can replace it, but that in itself is, is you know, yes. not an easy, an easy thing to, to countenance. Uh, yes. So anyway, it's, it's set on Mars. It's got a very, very um, solid noir beat to it in that you've got this guy who's a kind of broken down ex-enforcer, um, down on his luck, getting by on crap jobs given to him by friends and you know, right, doing yeah. whatever. And he, he gets handed um, a job which looks like something very, very straightforward and not very important. And then it blows up in his face and he finds that actually it's, it's, it's way bigger than he thought it was. And find himself sort of dragged into this this big conspiracy is an overused word, but he gets dragged into some machinations which uh, he doesn't want to be involved in, and it it, ah. it it all pans out from there. And as I say, it all takes place on this on Mars and this colony on Mars. Um, and I'm I'm looking into the the politics of of colonizing Mars. You know what that should yeah. look like because I think we've got we have we have these weird these weird sort of post. I don't know, post-Golden Age view, views of, of what colonization is going to be like. You know, it's... Yeah. Uh, that, it, oh, it'll be wonderful because it will give us back that frontier and the frontier spirit and all the rest of it. And, I, you know, two things occur to me. One is it will be nothing like the frontier that you're talking about. <laughs> uh, and secondly, it's like, well, just, just let's just think back to that high from the frontier, you know, the old American West, uh, for example. Yeah. Just let's just think about that frontier. It wasn't a fun time to be around. I don't think so. Um, you know, <laughs> especially uh, yeah. the amount of sort of slaughter and lawlessness and the. <laughs> it, it was, I mean, you know, the American West was a pretty scary place to be kicking around in, and, and yeah. so the book will tr attempt to sort of address that, to sort of say, oh, you think it's going to be like the American West? Okay, well, let's have a look at that. And, and also at the same same time to sort of drive home the point that it can't be, because, you know, we've come so far, and the very fact yeah. we can actually go to another planet, you know, means that we've we've gone way beyond that old-fashioned sort of pioneer thing. But that, yeah. That's the issue with golden, golden Age science fiction, I think, is that it was written at a time... I mean, the frontier had only closed, what, 40 years before when that's... <laughs> it was written at a time where everyone just sort of thought, oh, well, we'll go to other planets, and, yeah, there might be a few scary xenomorphs, but fundamentally, it'll be yeah. all right, you know, as long as we find yeah. a place where we can breathe the air, uh, we'll be fine. And, you know, the, the, they, they knew nothing about the fact that, you know, well, actually, maybe you won't be able to eat anything. But <laughs> actually, yeah. maybe it'll be perfectly breathable air, but it's full of spores that will horrifically destroy you. You know, it's yeah, the sense yeah. that it's an entire other biosphere that yeah, we have yeah. no, you know, no connection, yeah. no concept. Exactly. Of it. Um, you know, all of that stuff was just—it was just wasn't part of the picture back in the golden age. It, you yeah. know, and, and that's fine. You know, because they're great rollicking tales. And I mean, I say I've got I've got plenty of um, Paul Anderson and Robert Heinlein and and, and yeah. Asimov and stuff on my shelves uh but that's another time and i, I think yeah. we've all we've sort of grown up since those days and so when i hear people whittering on rather wistfully about you know the sort of oh but we still haven't put a man on mars and goes, yeah too right we haven't put a man on mars you know what? <laughs> because it, it's, it's not <laughs> there. 
Um, you know, there's been a lot of moaning about the fact that, oh, what happened to, you know, what happened to the space race? What happened to, well, why aren't we in space? It's like, no, we are in space. Yeah. I mean, we just landed on a comet, for correct sake. Yeah. We, yeah. We've got yeah. probes out into the outer solar system. We've chosen, chosen not to send people there. Because, you know, <laughs> it's quite fragile. <laughs> it actually turns out that our, our ICT uh, is, is way a way better match for the environment, you know. And yes. it, it's kind of like, it's bizarre. It's like somebody sort of getting all, all um, maudlin because, oh, we don't send people down mines anymore to have a coal <laughs> on their hands and knees. No, we don't. You're absolutely right. And on balance, I think that's a good thing. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so the, the novel is going to be is an attempt to sort of reach a point of juxtaposition in which we can take yeah. all that into account but still tell a kick-ass fun story because obviously when all is said and done, those Paul Anderson novels and, and Heinlein novels and so forth, what they were really about was telling a, a, a fantastic story, a kick-ass story. And, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not some kind of po-faced, uh, um, uh, post-modernist kind of... Uh, <laughs> no, no, you can't have any suspension of disbelief and you can't, you can't enjoy this story. Um, yeah. You know, I'm all in favour of, of dynamic stories in which lots of cool stuff happens. So I've got to reach a point where I can bring in all of those political and, and yeah. sort of social concerns and bring in the whole issue of, of how difficult it is to, to, to go somewhere and call yeah. But still create a world in which we can still have, you know, um, a chase on foot, a gun battle, uh, fisticuffs in a, in a CD bar, all the things that <laughs> make the noir um, narrative work. Um, yeah. and I, I, think, I think I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Well, that, that's definitely one to look forward to. And then after that, now you've suggested it, you've got to write, um, you've got to write a, a sci-fi version of The Wire for TV. Well, so. <laughs> maybe this will be it. Who knows? <laughs> well, maybe it will. It's yeah. going to be called Thin Air. And I mean, I, I, I hadn't, I, like I said, I don't really plan series novels. Uh, but if it flies, you know, if, if, uh, if I can yeah. get it to jail properly, then there, there might conceivably be quite a few with this this character because I think there's a, the, again because he's older, uh, there's a lot of yeah. backstory which I'm not even I'm just going to touch on in this book. I'm not going to yeah. part of my problem with writing the book has been sort of going no 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 take that out take that out that's <laughs> the book three. Um, and uh, I think it was Hemingway who said you know my my writing becomes stronger the more I take away from it. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, it might, with, with luck, maybe that will, maybe that will be the first of a series of novels set in that context. And maybe we can say something interesting about, you know, the follies of, of the colonization dream and what, yeah. what it actually might look, you know, what, yeah. what the, the human realities of that might be. And I hope, you know, you've got a dream, haven't you? <laughs> Sounds awesome. I, I'm looking forward to, to seeing that. Right, I shall let you go because we've been on for nearly an hour. So, <laughs> so I shall let you get back to some packing. <laughs> right, okay, I'll let you go then. Um, really nice talking to you. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's wonderful talking to you. Um, and I hopefully we can talk again at some point once you're once you're moved and decamped back down to London and and uh, you've got more. You know, when the novel comes out, maybe. Uh, that'll be nice. I'd love All right, cool. you take care. Cheers. And you. Cheers. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.